in praying about what we needed to do this morning, I am the type of person that I want to know where the rubber meets the road. You know, I want to know all the time that we've been in ministry, which has been like 26 years now. We have seen things come. We've seen things go. We've seen people that have come from nothing and be very, very, very much overcomers. And we've seen people that have heard the same things that we've heard that are at the same place they were with the same word that we've heard. Anybody else been that way? You see people all the time and uh, you wonder why some people are growing and prospering and some things are working out in their lives and you're there and it's not working out in your life. And so in praying about this, I said, Lord, I know there's people in the church that are hurting still desperately. They haven't gotten their money for their homes. They haven't got their money to pay their medical bills. They haven't gotten their money to to uh, take care of their kids. They haven't got the money to buy extra clothes. They haven't got answers to things physical in their bodies. Why? Does anybody else want to know that besides me? Oh, I I seek God about these kind of things because I'm usually the one. I know y'all are cold, but I, uh, y'all turn the house up a little bit and get them warmer out there. How many's cold? Yeah, a lot of people are cold. So y'all warm the house up just a little bit for them. People are putting on their sweaters, so uh, y'all get it, get on it pretty quickly here. Um, so I like to find out why things are not working for people. If there's something going on in my life, I don't want to just keep it going on and keep it going on and keep it going on like if I had a sickness or something and I wasn't getting any better. Well, I would do whatever it took. I would fast. I would pray. I'd get in my Bible. I'd read scriptures. I'd listen to tapes. I'd do whatever it took to find out why I wasn't getting that answer. And so I did that for you guys because some people won't do it for themselves. Y'all, so y'all want to know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's usually the way it works. I get a book and I say, Keith, I really want to know what this says. Would you read it and tell me? <laughs> he don't always do it, but sometimes he will because I have never enjoyed reading. So he knows I like to read my Bible. So I get, I, if I get that done, I'm doing good. Turn with me. How many of you at Faith Life Church have been reading your scriptures this week? Yes, yes, yes. Do you know that that will set you on a different course? Just that in itself. Just that in itself. Well, how many of you know what we read on, was it Friday? Luke 6, right? Turn to Luke 6. Keith has been teaching on love. And I don't know of any greater love than this. Turn with me to Luke 6, 46. And let's pray. Father, I just ask you this morning for utterance from you, anointing from you and help from you, because there's nothing we can do without you, Father. And you know my heart and my desire is to help people. And if there's anything that I can say or do here this morning that would set people on a different course and a different path to set them accomplishing the things that you've called them to do and accomplishing their will that you have for their lives here on this earth, I ask you to bring it out and show us so that we can all be overcomers instead of underneathers. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke six forty six. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? In other words, how can you say, I love you, Lord, and do not the things he tells you to do? Read what happens next. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man that built a house and dig deep. 
and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, what do we know the rock is? The word. Jesus, the word. It's the same thing. Jesus is the word. I am the word. So it was built on Jesus. It was built on the word. Okay. But what happens to the next part of people? 49. None of us want to be in this part. 49. But he that hears and does not is like a man without a foundation. And he built his house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So what I'm wanting to know and what you're wanting to know from all the hands that went up is why some people are overcoming. And you're seeing like Dave saying, uh, new suits, new clothes. Why you're seeing some people that are coming out of holes and why some people are staying in the same pit that they're staying in. Look at verse 46 again. If you don't, if you hadn't got it yet. And if you're sharp and you're quick, you've already got the answer. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I know a couple of Friday nights ago, we were here. Well, it's been longer than that now. It's been a couple of months ago. And I don't do things normally. If you know anything and you're learning anything about Keith and I, we do our very, very best to not do what Keith and Phyllis want to do, where the church is concerned. We do our very best to hear from God and do what He wants us to do. It's not always the way we want to do it. It would be a lot easier to give in to people and do the things that they want to do than do what the Lord's telling you to do sometimes. And uh, I know that night, you know, it seems awkward sometimes. Keith's up here speaking and stuff, and it's like you almost have to make... um, uh, a transition in the service and, and a spectacle almost to come up and do some things. But the Lord dealt with me real strongly that there was a lot of people in the service that particular night that were believing God to sell their houses or I take that back wanting to sell their houses. How many of you were here that Friday night? Okay. Now, how many of you that were in that service that Friday, I know I brought this up the other day, were in that service that Friday night that were believing for your house to sell, or wanting your house to sell. I keep saying that, but wanting your house to sell. Yeah, there's a lot of people. And the Lord gave me specific, very specific instructions that night. Do y'all remember? Very specific instructions that night. Tell the people, number one, and I even wrote them down, say I call my house sold. Remember that? Number two. To get a picture of your house and write sold in big red letters across the front of it and put it on your refrigerator or your bathroom mirror. Because especially ladies, on their bathroom mirror, they will notice it more than any place. (laughs) Right? All right. So, And then never to say anything else about it. Never to say, I wonder why it's not sold. Never to say, should we change the price? Never to say, should we do something different? But just what? I call it soul. Well, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago. I said, how many of you have done that? And of the hundred plus people, there had to be a hundred people that came down here that night. Of that hundred plus people, I bet you three to five people did what the Lord told them to do. And of those three to five people, we had testimonies that their houses were sold. Some of them in three days, some of them in a week. It was done. 
It was done. So why did that work for some and not work for others? Does God give specific instructions about what he wants done? Does he tell you exactly how he wants you to do things? And are we required to do them that way? Let's find out. I don't want you to, you know, around here, where's the scripture? Right? All right. Turn to Exodus. Miss Gloria Copeland said something on the broadcast not long ago, and I don't know if, if any of y'all watch them very much, but but anyway, some of you may have remembered her saying this, and um, it just stood out to me like a ton of bricks, and it's because it had been going around in my heart, and I had been searching out my heart about you know, what was going on with some people and what was going on with some things and and why people weren't getting the answers that they were seeking and stuff. And she said this, and it just set a bonfire under me to to start studying about this a little bit, just this one sentence. And uh, she said, the word that works for you is the word you pay attention to. Do you understand that? Write that down. Don't let it get away from you. Say it with me this time. The word that works for me, for me, is the word I pay attention to. Everybody say it with me. The word that works for me is the word I pay attention to. That's all that can work for you. That's it. That's all that can work for you. And I thought that just that just lit a fire under me because that was the answer to why people are not getting the results that they're seeking in their lives. Because they're hearing the word, but they're not paying attention to it. It's going in this ear, and it's a real good thing to, to sit in church and hear, and it's a real good thing to uh, for somebody else to do. But the only word that will work for you is the word that you pay attention to. Don't forget that, okay? Because if you're wondering why your situation hasn't changed, that's why. Don't call him Lord, Lord, and not do the things he says. And the word that works for you is what you pay attention to. So we're going to pay attention to some things this morning so we can get some things turned around in our life. The title of my message is, I will qualify. I will. Period. I will. No question about it. So everybody at Exodus, you know where Exodus is. Exodus 16, 14. And what we're going to do... I mean four, I'm sorry. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to take just a minute. I'm not going to read them all. But I just want you to get a feel for the way that the Lord is. I want you to get a feel. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did things this way, then the Old Testament is types and examples for us today. Is that correct? So if he did these things in the Old Testament this way, then we know it's the same in the New. And we'll look at some things that way. So look at Exodus 4. Everybody knows this story. Everybody knows the story about the Lord raining manna down from heaven to feed them in the wilderness, right? Is there anybody that doesn't know about manna from heaven? You know, there was even songs, manna, banana bread. What was that song 20 years ago? You know, I forget who even wrote it. It was a it was a real funny song. Y'all remember it? They're shaking their head over there. I forget what it was, you know, but it was a it was a funny song. But it was talking about manna from heaven. And let's look. It says, verse four, then the Lord said, then said the Lord unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. Read that next out loud. 
that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And you know the rest of the story. I won't take the time to read it. But it goes on to say that um, he rained down the manna. He gave them specific instruction to get the manna for that day. Not to save any over for the next day. And look at look at verse 20. You'll see what I'm talking about. They didn't listen. Verse 20 says, They saved it, some of it over till the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was upset with them. Then he tells them on Sunday that they're not supposed to gather on Sunday. Then look at verse 25. Moses said, Eat that today, for today is the Sabbath and unto the Lord. And today you will not find it in the field. But look at verse 27. When it came to pass, there went out what? Some of the people on the seventh day for to gather. Now, do they think God's a liar? Do you see my point? Do they think he's a liar? He said, gather it in six days and on the seventh day don't gather it. And it's the most amazing thing. Monday, whatever the, however the Sabbath falls, I'm not going to get into some theological something or another, but we'll say it like we do it today. Uh, say Monday through Saturday, they gathered the manna up and uh, were supposed to only eat it for that day. And then on Sunday, they were supposed to gather enough on Saturday to last them for Sunday. But if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, it would get worms and mold and all these other things overnight. But on Saturday night, God would preserve it and it would last through Sunday. But the people didn't listen. Did they listen? We won't throw any stones. We've missed it too. Okay, look at Exodus 25. And we're going to talk about the sanctuary. And I just want to hit a few points so that you can get a picture of the way that the Lord is. We're going to talk about the sanctuary that he told them to build. And let them, verse 8, everybody there. I'm staying in Exodus so that it'll be real close so we don't have to waste much time turning to places. Um, Exodus 25, 8. Because if you read the Old Testament, you'll see over and over and over and over and over and over again how explicit he was with detail on things. Listen to this. It's, it says, verse 8, And let them make to me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show them, after the pattern of the tabernacle, the pattern of all the instruments thereof, and even so you shall make it. And they may, and they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length. And a cubit and a half shall be the breadth. And a cubit and a half shall be the height. And you'll overlay it with pure gold. And you'll, then, uh, thou shalt overlay it and thou shalt come up, make upon it a crown of gold round about it. And you'll cast four rings of gold for it and put them in four corners thereof. And two rings shall be on one side and two rings shall be on the other side. And you make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the staves in the rings by the sides of the ark and the ark will be borne by them, and the staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put the ark of the testament which I give you in thee. And thou shalt make the mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth thereof. Is he specific? How specific is he? I mean, inches, millimeters. I mean, he is very, very specific with them about what he wants them to do. Is that correct? Is he the same way today? Okay, let's look at something else. You get the picture there, right? We could go on reading all the, the cubits and all that stuff, but you get the picture about that, right? Okay, turn to Exodus 28. Does God care about what you wear to church? Let's look and see. 
People have gotten upset with me because I've required certain things on the platform. I believe you ought to be modest when you're in church. I don't believe that you should be trying to be seen when you're in church. I believe you should wear modest apparel. I mean, there's certain criteria that we should adhere to. Did God care about how they went into the temple? Let's look and see. Let's look at 29, Exodus 29, verse 2. Oh, got it backwards here. 28, verse 2. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron and his brother for the glory and for the beauty. Glory and beauty. Keith says I need a dimmer switch for this one. Y'all agree? Dimmer switch. Somebody bought me this. They did a good job, didn't they? Yes, they did. Um, and then it says, And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I fill with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he will be a minister unto me in the priest office. And these garments are, this is the way they should be made. A breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broadered coat and a miter and a girdle. And they shall be holy garments for Aaron. Now look at verse 5. They shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. He tells the colors, the type of material. And they shall make an ephod of gold and of blue and of purple scarlet and fine twine linen. Not just any linen, a specific kind of linen. And, cu- and do cunning work. I mean, crafty, spe- specific needlework. And they shall be two shoulder pieces joined at the edges thereof. And so shall it be joined together. And the girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same according to the work thereof. And it shall be blue and gold and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. And you shall make two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six names on one stone. Six names on the other stone. And then work with an engraver of the stone. And the engraving shall have the names of the children of Israel on them. And you shall put two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for the children of Israel. And before the Lord, upon this his shoulders, he'll wear this as a memorial. Verse 13. And you shall make ouches of gold, two chains of pure gold at the ends. And a wreath and work you shall make them. And fasten the wreath chains to the ouches. And thou shalt make a breastplate of the judgment of the cunning work. And thou shalt make an ephod. And it shall be blue and gold and purple. Do you get the picture? Is he specific? Is he telling them exactly the way he wants it done? Does he do that today? That was half of you that time. Does he do that today? Is he specific with us today about what he wants done? Has he changed? Okay. Look at chapter 29. Now, these are different areas. I mean, this was first off feeding them their food. Then the temple, the the sanctuary, then how they were supposed to dress. Then let's look at an offering. Is he specific about how he wants offerings done? Do you remember the Old Testament at all? How specific is he about offerings? Look at verse 20, chapter 29, verse 1. The very end, it says, take one young bullock and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread and Bread and cakes, unlevered tempered with oil, and wafers, unlevered, anointed with oil, wheat and flour, shall you make them. And you shall put them into one basket, and bring them in the basket with the bullock and the two rams. And Aaron and his son shall bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they should wash them with water. And you should take the garments and put upon Aaron a coat and a rope, I mean dress, Fix it this way. Put one in one basket. Put one in another basket. Uh, wear this when you do it. Wash it with this. Put it in this kind of vessel. Does all that stuff matter to God? Yeah. Let's look at something else. Let's build an altar now. Exodus 30. 
I mean, you see, we're just turning one page after the other. And he's just being so specific with them about every area that they're supposed to do something in. Chapter 30, verse 1. And you shall make an altar to burn incense on. And it should be of shittim wood. You should make it. And it should be a cubit in length thereof, and a cubit in breadth thereof, and four square shall it be. And two cubits shall be the height thereof, and the horns thereof shall be the same. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, and the top thereof, and the sides thereof, round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make it unto a crown of gold round about it. And two gold rings shall thou make unto the crown of the two corners thereof, and the two sides. Do you get this as being boring? I mean, it's explaining to them exactly how to do it. I mean, and it goes on, look at, I mean, verse 8. And when Aaron lights the lamps in the evening, he shall burn incense upon them, perpetual incense. He, he goes through any verse that you want to pick out in there. Just turn your Bible. Just take just a second and turn. And every time you look somewhere, he's telling them exactly what they're to do. Exactly what they're to do. He didn't leave anything out about how they were supposed to do it. Well, has he changed today? Do we live under a worse covenant today? Are we confused? Do we lack direction? He was more grace to them, telling them exactly how he wanted them to do it. But he doesn't do us that way today because um, we're under the new covenant and, and we're not as important as the old covenant was. It's not that way at all. We have a greater, better covenant living in the new covenant. Correct? Well, does it matter if you don't do what the Lord says? Now, they did what the Lord said on all this. But does it matter if you don't do what the Lord says? Let's look at Moses. Let's look at it. Turn back to Exodus 6 with me just a minute. Now, and have your Bibles ready to turn. Lay your notepads aside for just a second and look at this. I want you to see something. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, verse 13, and the Lord said unto Moses, chapter 7, verse 1, and the Lord said unto Moses, chapter 7, verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, chapter 17, I mean, chapter 7, verse 17, and the Lord said unto Moses, chapter 8, verse 1, and the Lord said unto Moses, chapter 8, verse 16, and the Lord said unto Moses, and I skip verse 5, and the Lord spake unto Moses, and chapter 9, then the Lord said unto Moses, and number 13, the Lord said unto Moses, do you get the picture and uh, 10 verse 1 the Lord said unto Moses and 21 the Lord said unto Moses and 11 the Lord said unto Moses and 12 the Lord said unto Moses and 13 the Lord said unto Moses you got the picture was Moses obeying God was he doing everything that God told him to do was Moses confused about hearing the voice of God could he hear from God absolutely no question about it he heard from God on a daily basis I mean, if we believe this Bible, we believe that. Moses was hearing from God. The Lord was talking to Moses and telling him exactly what he wanted him to do. He didn't have any misunderstandings with God. When God told him to do something, if he said, throw your rod uh, to split the waters, what did Moses do? Is there anybody that you know of in the Bible that was used more than Moses? Anybody? Somebody shout me out a name if you know it. Anybody that was used more than Moses? There's not a man that I know of that was used more than Moses in the Bible. Did Moses miss it? Yes, he did. Let's look and see. Look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. Now, the Lord has been talking to Moses 
regularly. And he has done everything that the Lord has told him to do. He has been so faithful to do what the Lord has told him to do. He felt so inadequate. He felt so not the type of person that could could lead a people, not the type of person that could do what the Lord wanted him to do. But God graced him, and he was able to accomplish what the Lord wanted him to do. And there was never a misunderstanding. I don't read any time in here that Moses went back to the Lord and said, Hey, Lord, I don't understand. That's why I did it that way. I, I, I misunderstood you. No, he was very clear every time the Lord told him to do something, to do it exactly the way that the Lord told him to do it. There was never a misunderstanding between him and God of, of miscommunication. Right? People use that too much today. Miscommunication. Oh, I didn't understand. That's a good excuse for you, but you know your heart. Okay? The Lord and Moses were talking. And the Lord told Moses to do things, and he did exactly what he told him to do, exactly the way he told him to do it. It was imperative that he do, because with Pharaoh, he would say, do this and the lice would come. Do this and the frogs would come. Do this and the, blood, the water will turn to blood. Do this and all the cows, will, this will happen to them. And, and one thing after another after another, and he was doing exactly the way that the Lord told him to do. Okay, look at verse 3 in chapter 17. The people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses. Is it anything new today? And they said, Wherefore is it that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Do you get the picture? They were in Egypt. They were in bondage. They didn't own the clothes on their back. They were having to make everything. They were slaves in Egypt. And they were so ready to get out of there that they did. I mean, if you remember that, I mean, that that night, the night of the Passover, he told them specifically what they were supposed to do. He told them to eat the Passover meal with their shoes on their feet and their clothes on their back and to go borrow silver and gold from all the people. He told them exactly what to do on that. And they were excited that night. You ever seen people get excited about the things of God? And then the first trial or test come, they blame it on the leader. Y'all don't do that now, but I have seen churches that have done that. I've seen churches ready to ring their pastors up and hang them by the neck because things weren't going the way that they thought they ought to go. I don't know what God did. I tell y'all I'm his favorite because he didn't send us people like that. He sent us the best. Yes. But look at verse 6. The Lord talks to Moses. Well, verse 5, read that part again. And the Lord said unto Moses to go on before the people and take you, uh, the elders of Israel, and your rod... Wherewith you smote the river into your hand and go. So the same kind of situation again. He's telling him, the Lord spoke to Moses, take your rod and go. And behold, I will stand before you and there upon the rock of Horeb, thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of the rock that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So what happened? Let's make it down in simple terms. Sometimes this King James makes it a little complicated. The Lord told Moses, get your rod in your hand and go to that rock. Hit the rock. The water's going to come out. Did Moses do what the Lord told him to do? Yes. Not a trick question. You just read it. Did Moses do what the Lord told him to do? Yes. He took his rod in his hand. He hit the rock. All the murmuring, complaining stopped. They had water. Okay. Okay. Now let's look at Numbers 20. Same story, same exact thing was happening. Verse 4, listen to the people. They're still whining and complaining. 
Listen to him in verse 4. Why did you bring us up on the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die here? Same thing. Same story. Can that wear on you as a person? You're doing everything that you know to do, and the people are still grumbling and complaining. And Moses is doing everything he knows to do, and they're still. Okay, but look. Here's the difference. Verse 7, what does it say? Does that look different than anything you've seen over all those other verses that you read? Did y'all see some of those that said that? The Lord spoke to Moses. Does it look exactly the same? Y'all talk to me now. I'm not Keith. I won't. I'll stop till y'all talk back to me. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, right? Okay, exactly the same thing. Do you think there was confusion there? Do you think Moses misunderstood? Do you think that he uh, said, well, maybe I should do it a different way? Exact same kind of situation. This will answer some questions for you if you'll pay attention. The exact same situation. Here they were in the wilderness. They did not have water. Does God do the same thing the same way every time? Just because you got healed this way this time, does that mean you're going to get healed this way next time? Just because it was okay for you to come and have us lay hands on you one time, the next time God may say, you deal with it. Just because he may tell you this time, you take authority over this, but next time you go see the pastor about it. Or you go see Dave about it. Or you go see this one about it. Or you fast about it. Or you uh, speak to it. Or Does he do the same thing the same way all the time? Let's see. Same exact situation. The people were murmuring because they didn't have any water. Verse 4. They, did, they were complaining. They were going to die without water. Um, it says in the end of verse 6, neither is there any water to drink. Okay? So, verse, let's see here. Um, 8, 7. We'll start there again so we can read that part again. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, take your rod. Does that sound familiar? Take your rod and gather the assembly together. Does that sound familiar? Yes, same exact thing as the last time. And your brother Aaron, and do what? Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water, and you shall bring them forth water out of the rock, so thou shalt give them to the congregation and to their beast. Is that what Moses did? Why? Look at verse 10. The very end of it, we'll, just, we'll try to skip. I've got a lot of stuff to cover here. Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock? He was mad at them. They'd been murmuring and complaining. He got his feelings involved. He was upset with all those people. All they're doing is putting him down, and he keeps having to get them water and do everything for them. And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod and smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. Verse 12. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron. Because you believe me not to sanctify to me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore, sad, the next part, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now, is there anybody in the Bible, check your heart again, anybody in the Bible that was more faithful to do what the Lord told them to do? Anybody that you see anywhere in the Bible that it kept saying, and the Lord said to them, and the Lord talked to them. And the Lord talked to them. I, I don't find any. That it was just continuous. I mean, through the first five books of the Pentateuch. I mean, it's just over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Where he's saying, the Lord said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses. And Moses did everything he told him to do. But he didn't do this. 
Does it matter? Turn with me to Numbers 27. Verse 12. The Lord said unto Moses, Numbers is just right past it, so I'm going fast because i got a lot of scriptures here to cover. The Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this mountain, Abram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, you shall be gathered unto the people as Aaron and thy brother was gathered. And why? Verse 14. Because you rebelled against my commandment in the desert in Zen, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify to me the water before their eyes. That is the water of Meribeth in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Did it matter? Verse 18. The Lord said unto Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and give him charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thy honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. So now let's turn to, um, let's see, we're at 28 now. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 3.23. Just keep turning. It's the next book. In case you don't know. Deuteronomy 3.23. Now this is Moses talking. And I think this is where so many people are today. Moses besought the Lord at that time saying, Oh Lord God, Thou hast begun to show your servant the greatness of thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth that can do according to thy words and according to thy might. I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, the goodly mountain in Lebanon. But what does verse 26 say? But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice. Speak no more unto me about this matter. In other words, Moses, you my man, but don't talk to me about this anymore. You've done all this stuff for me, but don't talk to me about this thing anymore. Does it matter when God tells you to do something and you don't do it? Can it cost you everything? Do you think, close your eyes just a second. Everybody in here, every usher, every sound person, every person in this place. Close your eyes just a second. Now picture yourself before the throne of God. And it's judgment day. And you're standing there. And the Lord says, did you do what I asked you to do? I mean, just now, I said, close your eyes. There's about a half a dozen people in here with their eyes still open. You're standing before the Lord, God Almighty that created you and bought you back with Jesus' precious blood. And he's saying, did you do what I called you to do on the earth? Or were you too busy with your job, too busy with your kids, too busy with your personal things? Has he told you specifically to do something? You can open your eyes. Now, that's between you and the Lord, whatever that is. But to me, 
That's why so many people here have not understood Keith and I. There's been a, a real thing about a mentality of, of the way we do things around here. There's been a real thing about why we don't do this or why do we do that. Why do we do it this way or why do we do it that way? I think there's nothing more important. I don't care, and I'll be brutally frank with you, I don't care how many people I make mad at me. When I stand before the Lord and He says, Did you do what I told you to do? Did you do it? My conscience is going to be clear. And I'm going to be able to say yes. And if he says, you know, there's people that come in here. They've got lots of money. They've got lots of clout. And they want to do stuff because of who they are. Does that matter to the Lord? Unless the Lord says to us, put them in this place, then we would be totally disobedient for doing that. We've had relatives. We've had friends. We've had board members. We've had different people. Oh, let our children sing. It'll be good for him. We, Keith doesn't sing unless he feels like the Lord has dealt with him to sing. Why should we do what other people tell us to do? People haven't understand the way, understood the way we do things around here. But let's, let's get into some of the things that, why we do some of the things that we do around here. Let's look at the New Testament for just a minute. Is there specific instruction for what we are to do? Specific. Is God a specific God? And does he tell us specifically what we are to do? Specifics are, are not man's idea. Specifics are God's idea. Turn with me to Acts. Chapter 5, verse 1. You all know the story. It's another sad story. The specifics come over from the Old Testament to the New. Did God use Moses? Abundantly. Did it matter that he was disobedient? It mattered. It mattered. Look at Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody knows about Ananias and Sapphira. This is New Testament. This is immediately after the day of Pentecost. They're filled with the Spirit. People have the Spirit within them. We're in the New Covenant today. We don't have to have Moses hearing from God for us. We have the Holy Ghost living within us, and we have a greater witness in us on a continuous moment-to-moment basis as to whether we're doing the right thing or we're not doing the right thing. Immediately. When you miss it, you know it. Immediately. You don't have to go and ask somebody, did I miss it on that? You know it, right? Now, it's not God that condemns you. It's your heart that condemns you. But you know it. Okay? Let's look at Ananias and Sapphira. We know that um, they were there and there was, they were, what they were doing was, if you'll back up and, and, and go back into verse chapter 4 just a little bit, there were people that had lack, and, and verse 34 says, there was none that had lack among them. For those that had lands and houses sold them, and they brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to everyone according as he had need. So they knew the pattern of what was going on with this stuff. Do you think they were confused? Do you think God's unmerciful? And they were confused about what was going on, and they just made a mistake about this. You think there was any confusion in Ananias and Sapphira? Well, no. Ananias and Sapphira sat at home, the Phyllis version. We'll read it out of here in just a second. Sat at home and decided that they wanted to be seen in the church. 
We still have people like that today. Believe it or not. They want to be seen in the church. So what they did is they decided at home they were going to sell everything that they had and they were going to keep back part of the money for themselves and they were going to bring a portion of the money to the church so that they could be seen and accomplish both things. They would have money plus they would be seen by everybody and everybody could... Evidently, the people were bragging on these people that had brought this money in. Evidently, they were saying to them, look at what you did. God's graced you to be able to do that. They were patting them on the back and saying, how wonderful that is. People don't miss it because something just happens. They miss it because they're drawn away by their own what? Lust. And then enticed. That's what happened with them. Their own lust for being seen, their own lust for being noticed, their own lust for... for uh, People coming to him and patting him on the back for the things that they did. Look at what happened. But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a possession. And they kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? That's a serious thing. I mean, he wasn't lying to Peter. And that's what happens with people a lot of times. You may get a lie over some person. I mean, people think it's not important. You may get a lie over some person. But he, they were lying to the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, why did you lie to the church? He didn't say, why did you lie to me? He didn't say, why did you lie to the elders? He said, why did you lie to the Holy Ghost? And you may come in here and tell a lie to somebody. But you won't be lying to us. You'll be lying to the Holy Ghost. That's what it said. This scripture, right? It said, why did you lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not in your power? And why have you conceived this thing in your heart and lied that thou not lied unto men, but what? Unto God. When you tell a lie, it's not just to men. It's like people go through their daily lives and forget about God. It's good to be to think about God when you're in church on Sunday morning. But when you go out, it's like, I can do this with them and God and nobody will know it. God knows everything. There's not a time that He's not with you. I know um, when I worked at Raymond, the girls used to accuse me of having eyes in the back of my head because I could almost see what was going on with them up there at the, at the window. My staff now. I mean, the Holy Ghost will show you what you need to know. There's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Nothing. And you needn't think that you're lying to another man twice here in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the Bible says. Let every word be established. Well, twice here it says you didn't lie to God to man which is what they were doing with their mouth, right? Watch and see. Let's see. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And a great fear came upon them all that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours. She must have had to put on a lot of makeup. (laughs) Took her three more hours to get to church. Glory to God. Our women are always on time. 
Yes, amen. I heard a few amens. Yes, glory to God. Our women are always on time. Yes, in about three, in the space of three hours, when his wife came in, not knowing what had been done, and Peter answered unto her and said, what? Tell me, tell me, Peter, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them that have buried your husband are at the door and to carry, shall carry thee out. Then she fell straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead, buried her next to her husband. Is it serious? I mean, they fell dead in church. I bet some people would be more honest if they came into church and told a lie and they fell dead before they left. The ushers had to, okay, Dave, y'all get it, Rob, y'all get a, get a cart here and roll them, get the flower cart. We'll roll them out the door. People would take the things of God more seriously. I think, I think as a rule, people live in this world where God is a convenience to them. They use God when they need Him. But when He tells them to do something, they have to make a choice as to whether they want to do it or not. God's not a convenience. And if you closed your eyes a few minutes ago, I trust that the Holy Ghost showed you some things. He's not a convenience to where your finances are bad, you run to God. Keith used to say at healing school, I think we'd have a lot more business. He used the word business if we had a drive-up window. Do you know what he meant by that? That people didn't have to give any part of their lives to God. And they would do it at healing school. They would be at death's door. The doctors have given them 24 hours to live. And they want to come to God and say, just give me my healing. Just give me my healing. I don't want to get any closer than this. Just give me my healing. Okay, I'll get a little closer. Just give me my healing, God, and then I'm going to go on with my life. I've got my job, my kids, my family. Just give me my healing. And then, okay, I have to get a little closer. I can see I have to get a little closer. Just close enough, God, just give me my healing. Okay, just give me my healing. I'll stay with you this close. Can you give me my healing? I promise to do this. Just give me my healing. That's not good enough for God. God wants you right here. He wants you in his presence. He wants you with him. He wants you touching him. He wants you hearing from him. He wants it to where in your life it's constantly, he's saying, Barbara Joy, do this. And she does this. He's saying, Tammy, do this. And she does this. No question about it. He say, Lynn, Mike, y'all do this. They do it. No question about it. No ifs or ands or maybes or buts do I have a choice about doing it. It's God's mercy that we're all here today. It is the great mercy and grace of God that every person is sitting in this seat today clothed and in their right mind. Because if we had received the things that we deserved for not doing the things like Moses did, the reason God was so strict on Moses is because Moses knew the voice of God. Moses had walked with God. He had spent time with God. It wouldn't do for me to pretend like just this week the Lord dealt with me. One morning. I have plans for that day. I've got things going on at the office. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, sometimes Keith and I are meeting ourselves coming back. During the week this week, we probably half the week got two hours of sleep a night. But Tuesday morning, the Lord said, Phyllis, get up 
and go do this. Drop everything else you've got going. It doesn't matter. Somebody's life is in the balance, he told me. I did it. And it was. Now, it didn't matter what my plans were for that day. It didn't matter if I wanted to lay around the pool or if I wanted to go shopping or if I wanted to go to work that day and make some money or if I wanted to do this. The things of God are real. They're not fictitious. They're not come close enough to get your healing and then run back into your own little world. They're serious things. And when this whole life is said and done and spent and you've earned all the money that you want to earn, And you've had all the kids that you desire to have. Most of you were not here the Friday night we talked about why we didn't have kids. How many of you were not here when we talked about that? 85% of you. One reason we don't have kids is because you don't have time to have kids. The very first reason, very first reason is God never told me to. Would God tell you something like that? Yes, 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 and yes. Would he tell you something that specific? Yes, he would. And at the time, it was the most wonderful thing because I was able to go with Keith all the time. Since we've had the church, I haven't been able to go with Keith. But always before, we were together all the time. Is God a specific God? And does he just tell the pastor specific things to do? Or does he tell you? You ever had him tell you to do something and you pushed it aside? How many thousands of times have we all done it? You know what happens? He quits telling you to do stuff. And you go through life without. Most people do not know the wonderful things they're missing in their lives. When they get to heaven, I am convinced they're going to kick themselves. You know when you were a little child and your mama would spank you with a a paddle or something like that? She'd almost hit you up off the ground. You'd, you'd, You'd be going like this, you know? When they spank you or something, you know, well, that's the way I think we're going to do it ourselves when we get to heaven. We're going to be bringing ourselves up off the floor, hitting ourselves so hard because we are realizing the things that we missed that we could have had here on the earth had we been obedient to the things of God. It's only God's mercy that he doesn't show us what we're missing. Take me, for instance. God said, pull up roots, move to Branson. Branson, God. What's in Branson? Who's in Branson? We don't know a soul in Branson. Not a soul. Why do we want to move to Branson? We picked up our stuff. He said, start a church within three weeks. Three weeks. Now, we could have said, now, God, you know that's not enough time. Any any person can see that you can't get this place up and going in three weeks. And made excuses. And we don't have help. And it's just Keith and I. How can we get this place up and going in three weeks? And not be where we are today. It matters if you obey the Lord or not. It matters in your life. It matters to those around you. I am so blessed today because I obeyed God and I came to Branson. Yes, it's been work, but it's been rewarding work when you see people's lives changed and saved from the pit of hell and the devil doing things in their lives. And just like what Dave said, how many of you have come up in your giving and how many of you have come up in your receiving from the Lord? 
And half the people in here raise their hand. You know, I mean, what greater joy? There's not enough money in the world that's going to matter to you. Well, I tell you what, when you go to that coffin in that grave and you die, you're not taking nothing with you. But except your conscience. And what you did for God. Not your kids. Not your husband. Not your dog. And especially not your job. It's not going with you. But you are going. And your heart is going. And the things that you did for God is going. And people had this whole world system mixed up that the very most important thing in their life is their job and their kids. But they ain't going with them to heaven. Even in heaven it says you're not married or given in marriage. I don't know if I'm going to be married. I sure hope I am. I sure love my husband. But I don't know. So I've got to live this life out down here on my own, doing what I'm supposed to do for the Lord. It wouldn't be enough that I just live my life to serve Keith. But I know Keith well enough to know if I'm serving God, I'm serving him. Because I'm going to stand before the Lord. Jesus could, the other night, some friends of ours were standing in our upstairs bedroom. And the lights, the, y'all remember when the lightning was flashing? You know, and we were talking about Jesus coming. And I thought, Jesus could come right now. Do you understand that? Jesus could come right now, here, today. And what would you say? Some people are shouting, yes, please. Um, I see hands going up everywhere. Um, he could come here today. And, and what's, he, what's the Lord going to say to you when you stand before him? Now, I know. I know. Y'all had your job. And, and I understand that. You had your kids. And I understand that. That you couldn't do what I told you to do. I'll forgive you this time. Did he tell Moses, I know you got all these people riding you night and day. And I know you got all these things that you're having to do for me. And I know you're working night and day to, to do all these things that I'm telling you to do. But it's okay if you made this one mistake. Did he tell Moses that? Did it matter to God that Moses was disobedient? Did it matter to God that Ananias and Sapphira lied to him? Evidently it did. They're dead. I sure hope they were saved. That they didn't just pretend to give their hearts to the Lord like they did their money. So I want to cover just a couple of things with you here. And I know it's quarter to twelve, but it won't take very long. But I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 6. You're here in Acts. Just turn over one chapter. And I want you to know why we here at Faith Life Church have certain requirements before we have people doing anything. There's certain things that you don't know, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, and I don't want to say anything that would put anybody out of place or, or lift anybody up or tear anybody down. But sometimes you use things that people can hook, hook up with. You know, the Scripture is wonderful. But do you know all through the Scripture God gave parables? It's like this. It's like a man that sowed seed. You know, it's like a, the prodigal son. You know, it's one thing after another. He gave parables. Most of you don't know this, but it's no coincidence. And it's not just haphazard. And it's not just, oh, they just decided to do that or she decided to do that. The fact that I had Dave come up and take the offering this morning. Most of you in here don't know. The day that we got this building, Dave was here helping me. Cleaning. Getting stuff ready. Dave was here helping me deal with people. Keith was on the road. 
He was here helping me deal with this one or this one. We had crazy people coming in from everywhere. And I didn't have to deal with them. He did. Dave shows up every service ahead of time. Cleans back there. I, every time I walk in there, he's got a broom. He comes out here, cleans the carpet. Every time y'all come out here, if there's a spot on it, Dave's going, I missed it. Dave has his own ministry. He's been ministering to people for years. There's not been one time that I can recall over this year and a half that we've not called him and said, go check on this person at the hospital. Counsel with this person. Deal with this. Take this off of our back. Go see this person that's about to die. Go do this. Go do that. That he has even hesitated for five seconds, much less five minutes. You don't know this about Kim. The reason you don't see her in here, she's out there working with the kids. She's vacuuming the floors on Wednesday. She's shopping for me in, uh, in Springfield, getting things for me, bringing it in. So is it coincidence that I would use him to do the offering? Is it just haphazard? Look at, look at the scripture. Chapter 6 in Acts. And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring, again, of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. We get that all the time. What are you doing for me? Why can't you help me? Why? Can't we talk, sit down and counsel with you and Brother Keith? Why can't we touch y'all? Why can't we speak to y'all and counsel with y'all? Okay, turn around and look at this crowd. Now, if we just said, okay, we're going to give everybody 15 minutes. Would we have anything to say when we were up here? And you don't know what else we've been dealing with all week. Like this, this 15-year-old dying or, or this person trying to commit suicide or this person doing this or this person doing this. But you require it. Listen to what the Bible says about it. Do we go by the Scripture or do we go by what we want to do? Okay, let's, let's look at a couple. It says, Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the Word of God to serve tables. Now, the things of God are different from the things of the world. Are there requirements to do the things of God? There are requirements. And it says, it says, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, look out among you. What's the first one? Seven men of what? Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and what? Full of wisdom. That we can appoint over this business that we may give ourselves continually to prayer and to what? The ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Miracle. Okay? Turn with me real quickly to, um, let's see here where I want you to go. Exodus 18. And I know my time's running out, but as Keith says, I'm not apologizing. Y'all don't hear me very often. Can y'all stand it a little bit more? Are y'all getting anything? I believe you are. Exodus 18, verse 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from morning to evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said unto them, What is this thing that thou are doing? Y'all, you sit yourself alone, and all the people stand before you from morning till evening. And Moses said... Unto his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire of God. When they have a matter 
They come unto me, and I judge between one and the other. And um, I do make forth the statutes of the Lord known to them. So that's what Moses is doing. He's trying to let them know what the laws of God are, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. But what does his father-in-law tell him? Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that you do is not good. You will surely wear away. Both you and what? The people. Do you understand if Moses died... Or Moses wasn't able to do that. Where, okay, say, say something happened to Keith and I. Where would the church be? Do we have a commitment to the Lord to hear from him? Does it matter if we're just totally run down all the time? Does it? See, y'all get quiet on that because people get, they start pulling back into their own selfish realms. Well, what if I need you? There ain't not, there ain't not been a person in here that needed something from this church that we have not taken care of. That we knew about. Now, there's been a couple of things, like somebody's mother that died that didn't tell us till two weeks later that they died, that we couldn't help. It's difficult to help people when you don't know. So, it says that they're not doing a good thing. Hearken now to his counsel, and he tells them to pick, look at verse 21. This is what I want you to get. All you got to do is go eat anyway, so don't hurry. Again, what's more important? What's more important? Okay, verse 21. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. So what did he tell them to do? You lead, and then down at the bottom it says, uh, Moses chose able men, and he put them over heads of fifties and hundreds and this kind of stuff. And then, look back at verse 23, though, real quickly. I want you to see this. It doesn't just affect the leader. It affects what? All the people will go their way in what? Peace. So it affects not only the leader, but it affects the people when they do what they're supposed to do. And they judge the people in all seasons and the hard cases they brought to Moses and the small matters they judge themselves. One more scripture. First Timothy 3. You guys can... This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop. What a bishop means is a leader, an elder, a person in authority, a person that has some control over something, a person that's responsible for some things in the church. Does it matter the difference between a church and a secular job? Well, the Bible's saying it does. Okay? Here's some things that it says. A bishop must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, Given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine. No striker, not greedy of filthy money, uh, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. But one rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not knows, knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. Now, a novice means one newly come into the faith. Does anybody else's margin say that? A novice, one, a new, new Christian, a baby Christian, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave 
not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And verse 10 is what I want to get to. Everybody look at your Bible. And let these also first, what? Be proved. Then let them use the office. So in questioning all the things, we've had people come in here and they want to prophesy to everybody. They want to go around and prophesy to everybody. I think one of them came in and prophesied to Dave. He's supposed to be on the mission field, wasn't that right? Yeah. And um, they said, maybe you're supposed to be on the mission field. I'm not. You know, prophesied to somebody else. They were supposed to get rid of their whole board. Can we as pastors let that go on? Would we be doing things in the order that the Lord dealt with us to do? We've had people that came in here, got bent out of shape, going all over town, telling how horrible we are because we wouldn't let them counsel with people. Got their little bags and left because we wouldn't let them counsel with everybody. Wouldn't let them huddle in little corners and counsel with people and tell them things that were not right. Now, we as pastors, would we be, when we stand before the Lord and he says, how come you let that go on? Is it going to matter if I made them mad or not? Is it going to matter if they left the church or not? I care about people and I don't want anybody to leave. I think if they'll stay long enough, they'll grow up and see why we do things the way that we do them. We've had people, people that's come sit on the front row. Brother Copeland's meeting. They call us and they tell us, we require a front row seat. Church members. I said, you do? Yes, we require a front row seat. And why is it that you should have a front row seat over Mr. and Mrs. Fry when they're here cleaning every Thursday and have been here every time, mopping floors, cleaning toilets? Why should you get a front row seat over them? Required it. Don't hadn't come back since. Our first service, most of you don't know this. We had some people come in. They wanted to help us with the music, but they wanted to do it their way. They wanted us to stand up here and pray with them an hour before they went on the platform. Now, is it more important that Keith pray with them to sing their songs or that he know what he's supposed to say? They should know how to pray themselves or they shouldn't be up there. Do you want people up here on the platform that you know is out doing drugs and sleeping around? Do you want ushers that you know is out fooling around and doing things and and um, uh, forging checks or writing bad checks or, or doing things that you know is not right? Or do you want that? So we've had people that I've said they they desire to be on the platform to sing. They desire to be an usher. They desire to be a teacher. They desire to be over this team or over that team or over this team. And I say, okay, would you start out in the parking lot? Oh, no, that's not my calling. How can I prove them? How can you prove anybody if they're unwilling to come and sweep the floors like Dave did? Bill Walls, clean, hall carpet, by himself, across his shoulder, clear down here to put in here for me. Didn't wa- There's not been one time I say, Dave, we need carpet. He's got me samples in my office the next, that afternoon. I'm not waiting on him. That's a respect and an honor for the things of God. 
And you needn't think you honor God more than you honor your pastors. And I am your pastor, so I can tell you that. You needn't think you do. If you don't honor us, you don't honor God. People like to think they do. And if I call somebody and I say, would you help with the kids back there? We could use some extra help in the two and three-year-olds. And you say, oh, no, that's not my grace. Or, oh, no, I don't like the way you teach back there. Or, oh, no, I don't like your lesson plan. Or, oh, no, I don't like the way that you do this. What does that tell me? They're not proving themselves. I can't use them for anything. There's been people, I've sat here, and I'll turn around to the girls, and I'll say, now, now tell me about them, where they've been working. And I'm just constantly looking around. You see me. I turn here in my chair, and I'm just constantly looking around where we can put people, what we can do with people. And I'll say, uh, what about this person? Well, they, they were doing this, but then they said they decided that they just wanted to be in the service and not do it anymore. And I'm right on the verge of doing, promoting them, for lack of a better word. And the devil comes in right at that time and says, you, you just need to quit. You're, they're not honoring your gift. They're not honoring your place. Would we be as pastors doing what the Bible told us to do in verse 10 here? Look at verse 10. What does it tell us? This is scripture. This is Bible. What does it say? Let these also first be proved. Do you want somebody in there with your kids that's molested children? So if we turn somebody down, that'd be all right with you? Well, what if they get mad and leave? What if somebody won't come to church unless they can get on the platform? What if somebody wants to sing and they've not given one dime to the church and they only show up occasionally when they feel like it? But they want to be up there and sing so everybody can see them. I've got a gift. God gave me an anointing to sing. Great. Sing in your shower. You're not on my platform. Because I will answer to God for everything that we do in this church. Keith will answer to God for everything that we do in this church. But that is my lot, is to deal with the volunteers. Is to deal with. And, and when I get something on my heart, I say, okay, Lord, is this the person for this? I know when we first hired Karen and Jan, y'all stand up. These are my left and right and both feet and ankles and everything. I said, they've been with us 10 years, you know. I first started out because Karen had helped Keith in healing school for, Karen is the, the blonde like me. Um, Jan was for years the only brunette we had, you know. Everybody thought they had to be blonde to work for us, but. <laughs> But anyway, when I hired Karen, uh, I volunteer hired. You know, I take volunteer as seriously as I take hiring somebody because you're putting them in a position, you're requiring things of them. God is requiring things of them. So when I put Karen in that position, she was supposed to be doing a little bit more secretarial things at that time. And man, I missed it. This has been 20, 10, 10 years ago. How long? 10 years ago? I missed it. And I said, um, Man, it's not, it's, it's kind of grating and she's not clicking and it's not working. And, um, I said, what did, what did I do, Lord? It wasn't her place. I did a flip flop. I called Jan. I said, Jan, how about you coming in and helping us? She was in Mississippi. I said, come back and help us. 
She had volunteered. She told me she'd do whatever I needed her to do. She didn't ask me to work in office work. She asked me, what, about my dog or something? She'd take care of my dog or she'd do anything that I asked her to do pretty much. And so uh, that's the kind of people you want to use. Not somebody that gives you a list of requirements of things that they want to do. You know, prove them. So she said she'd do that. So I got her working for me. And as soon as I got Jan in her place, I brought Karen back in and she started doing the accounting stuff. And I mean, click, click, right place, right position. She wasn't defeated. Jan wasn't defeated. Because if you're not in your place, you'll do what? Fall on your face. Keith says, you're not in your place, you're out of your grace, you'll fall on your face. So, and that's a fact. And every person in this church... I don't care if you are the president of some Fortune 500 company. When you stand before the Lord, he's going to say, what did you do for me? I don't care how much money you made. I don't care how many kids you had, how many soccer games you had to go to, how many ballet lessons you had to go to, how much you had to do in your natural life. What's going to happen is when you stand before the great white throne, you're going to stand before the Lord, and what's going to happen? You're going to answer for everything you did here on this earth. Not there in heaven. It's too late. It's here and now that matters. And I'm looking around this crowd, and none of us is getting any younger. Me included. We're not getting any younger. And some of you need to make up for lost time. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to rule in accordance to what you did here on the earth. Now, when you get to heaven, do you want to rule over puppy dogs or cities? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm making a joke about it. But some people, I, I know there was this, this elderly couple that came to Raymond. I think the lady was what, 80 years old? Do you remember her? She was, she, was she 80 years old? And she was going into the youth group. And she said, she said, I've got to make up for lost time. She told me and Keith that. She stood right before us and she said, I've wasted 80 years of my life living this life. Now I've got to make up for lost time. I think there's a lot of people in here that needs to look at their slate. The Lord dealt with me about two months ago. And I was praying one night. And it was probably 3 o'clock in the morning. And I said, Lord, what's the deal with the church? It seems like we've got a lot of people that's been hurt. We've got a lot of people that's messed up in their life. We've got a lot of people that's done things that hadn't been right. We've got a lot of people that's been abused. We've got a lot of people that's money is underneath the worst it could be. What's the deal? And God said, this is the church of the fresh start. Fresh start. But what that means is, we don't judge anybody. If you smoke, you smoke. That's between you and God. That's not between me and you. That's between you and God. Makes me no difference if you want to die of cancer. I don't mean that rudely, but you've got to work that out between the you and the Lord. You know, I love you. I want you to go to heaven, but I can't make you stop smoking. No matter how hard I try. But it's going to matter what you when you stand before the Lord, what you're able to tell him. If it hinders, I mean, there's lots worse things than smoking. You understand that? Gossip is to me is a thousand times worse than smoking. 
I mean, talking about people behind their back and nitpicking and sitting in beauty shops and saying things about people and gossiping and doing this kind of number. We don't have that here at Faith Life Church, right? Nobody in here gossips, right? Say, I never gossip. Say it loud. Yes. Thank you. I don't like gossip. It's one of my worst pet peeves. But anyway, I'm, I'm closing. But I want you to understand that please don't get your feelings hurt because I don't say and I don't go to Keith and present somebody to Keith and say, can they do this? You've not proven anything to me yet. I mean, some of these guys that's been ushering, they have been ushering for a year and a half, never been called to stand up, never been called to do anything, never been called to... I mean, have any recognition of any kind, and yet and still, buddy, they're here. Every service, every time, dress nice, look nice. But they don't want recognition from me, because the Bible says you can get recognition here, or you can get recognition there, and that's much better. So let's make up for lost time, and um, check your hearts. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But if God has dealt with you to do something, and he, and when we talked about, say, those teams the other day, the hospital visitation team, the altar care team, the uh, uh, the children's team, the the people that visit the uh, abused or financially disabled or whatever, you know, and I'll call them disabled because at that time they are, you know. Um, if God's dealt with you to be on one of those teams, I'm going to first start looking at people that's been sweeping the floors and people, and you're going to be real surprised who's going to be over these teams. It's not going to be somebody that turns in a paper to me and says, I want to be on this team or I want to be over this team. It's going to be that person that's here Wednesday vacuuming the carpet or that person that's been here every week cleaning. I mean, this man and this woman were the president of the school out there. And they cleaned this carpet for you and these chairs for you and these toilets for you and never whine one minute. Not one. Now, what bothers me is that they don't have all the help that they need in order to do the things that they need. Because people are too busy with their jobs, and they're too busy with their this, and they're too busy with their that. And I know I'm late, but I want you to understand that if you have other things in your life that are more important to you than God, and you're not doing what God told you to do, it can cost you. It's why you haven't got those things in your life that you're, you've been seeking. You can't go to God at arm's length and say, I want my finances met. I want my healing. I want my child saved. Doesn't work that way. You give him yourself and he gives you everything he's got. Stand up. I want us to make a commitment to the Lord. And I only want you to do it if you want to do it. Because don't lie to the Holy Ghost. Don't lie in your heart. Ananias and Sapphira lied in their heart. People do it every day. They say, I'm going to do this for you, Lord, if you'll do this for me. And a few days go by and they forget about what they told the Lord they were going to do. Don't work that way. So everybody, close your eyes and raise one of your hands toward the Lord because that's where all your help and wisdom and strength comes from. And say, Lord, only if you want to, I commit myself to you. Remind me of those things that you've dealt with me about. Put me in the place, in the position that you have for me.
I plan and commit not to let anything come before you. I'm going to make up for lost time. And I'm going to remember what you've done for me. Because this life is a vapor. We're here for a while and gone. But you are eternity. And that's what I'm living for. And I purpose in my heart to keep my first love first. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.